But, but sir, his strengths are a definite asset. I believe it would be in everyone's best interest to have him join the Earth forces. Oh? But from what Lieutenant Ramia says, the boy has no intention of joining the military. His parents are naturals who escaped the collapse of Heliopolis and as of now are living on Earth. If the military were to force them... You are spouting nonsense! What use would we have for such a soldier? Oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, sir. It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast, where we watch every episode of Gundam Seed and then tell you how great it is. My name is Jeremy. It's our destiny to complete this. I'm Tyler. No destiny. Not yet. We don't have to deal with that yet. We're skipping right to Build Fighters, right? Dueling Fates. (laughs) My name is Zach. Oh yeah, that's right. I watched another episode of Build Fighters. Oh, did you enjoy it? I can't remember what happens in the second episode. I really enjoyed it. I really got to catch back up to Iron-Blooded Orphans. That's also been good. I I haven't watched the latest episode yet. I was going to today, but my laptop was broken. I keep running out of realization Words. that a lot of the animes that I've been watching exist. Like Gate. <laughs> I'm I'm way behind on Gate. Iron Blooded Orphans continues to have harems and political engagement to girls who are way too young. That's great. <laughs> that doesn't Yay, sound Japan. great. Depends on which side you're on. Do you remember what happened this episode of Bill Fighters so I can live vicariously through you? Um, no. It's been a while. It wasn't the one with the Gan, because that's the first episode. <laughs> and it's not the one where the pop idol tries to destroy his Gundam no. by flirting with him. <laughs> that Spoilers. sounds awesome. <laughs> no, it is not that. Uh, no, I can't remember what And it was. the Italian guy who's the best character hasn't shown up yet. Riccardo Fellini. No, I can't remember. Honestly, I was, like, way late at night, and, like, this seems like an amusing thing to be doing while I'm insomniatic. I have seen the uh, totally not Domon character, though. He's Shining been... Finger! Although, actually, doesn't the series open with him? Yeah, you might be watching Build Fighters Try. I might be, yes, actually. Because, uh... Are these different? Yes, Try is the second series. Okay, so I should go find not Try, is what I'm hearing. Uh, try is still good. Well, yeah, but... Is there a girl who's clearly the main character? Yes. But... Okay, that's Try. Okay. Damn it. I mean, a female main character in a Gundam series? Oh, no, the the series pretends that the guy is the main character, but the only interesting thing about him was he was trained by Domon Kashi. And he's punching people and asking them if he's seen his sister. Yeah, but, yes. Seriously? But, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. He was awesome. trained by his master in how to find relatives. <laughs> that is awesome. And also, all of the female characters have a crush on him, but he's completely oblivious to it. And so by the end, it's amazing. Have you ever described colorful to... Oh, no, it's not colorful. Golden Boy to you? No. It's basically about a lecherous womanizer who goes around and he's specifically looking for like his long lost childhood love or something. And he keeps getting in these relationships with these women and being the horn dog he is, tries to hit on them. And basically try to talk his way into his pants. And he puts himself in a lot of escape situations. They inevitably reject him. What really makes it, though, is that the series finale is that in the intervening time between them rejecting them and the end of the series, he has gotten married to his childhood love, and they're all pining after him, and, like, all of them, like, storm into his house at the end of the show. <laughs> Sounds like Guy from Chojin Sentai Jetman, which is the Sentai immediately before they started making Power Rangers. First of all, his name is Guy. <laughs> Second of all, he is a womanizing Power Ranger. Third, he just has a whole bunch of stuff that says nice guy on it all over his house. Yes. 
But he is a horrible person who hits on people and traps women in elevators and tries to come on to them. And then is like, oh, no, why would you think I did anything dirty in there? I was just trying to do something dirty in there. I was trying to get consent. In the easiest way possible. There's also an episode called Guy Dies because the Japanese don't understand how spoilers work. So let's get on topic. Is there anything we want to talk about before getting into this episode? I can't think of any general Gundam Seed topics. This is one of those slow episodes but it's nicely building up to a big explosion next week. Well, that's uh, like you were talking about before we started recording. It seems like there's not really anything that happens in this episode, but actually a lot happens in this episode. I actually find that there's slow episodes that I like fairly well tend to do that. Yeah. That's because a good slow episode does that. I'm mostly making the distinction because we had a few too many in a row, I think, earlier on. But this one is a really good one right after a big blowout episode. That's going to set up the next Big episode, I guess. And for us Americans, this episode does end with the promise of violence next episode. Yeah. <laughs> promise of violence is best promise. So did episode four. Like, the best slow episodes end with a whole bunch of Gundams launching. First off, uh, if you're just joining us, Gundam Seed is the story of Kira Yamato. He's a uh, coordinator. They're basically Captain America's. They have superpowers from their genetics. Most of them are part of Zaft, which is the space military, and are fighting the non-coordinators of the Earth Alliance. Kira Yamato has got swept up with things and has been piloting the Earth Alliance's super weapon, the Strike Gundam, but now he's finally gotten the ship the Archangel to the safety of the Eighth Fleet, which could only be destroyed by three or four Zaft ships. If only there were some of those around. <laughs> There's never any any of those floating around. Actually, I have a general question to which you may or may not have an answer. Do coordinators necessarily have coordinator children? Because it sounds like it's a... like. Just because you have superior genetics yes. doesn't mean your kids will have superior genetics. Yeah, it seems like that. I don't know if that's just a cultural thing that all coordinators just naturally make their children coordinators. But the implication is certainly that two coordinators will have a coordinator yeah, child. It is highly implied that it, that the coordinator thing breeds true. I feel like that's not how human genetics works, but I'll let it slide. Because it's implied this episode, well, I guess not implied, it's explicitly stated this episode that Kira's parents, who are naturals, chose to have him be a coordinator, which means, like, theoretically, while he was in the womb, they did a bunch of, like, random genetic modifications. Yep. So, just occurred to me that coordinators shouldn't necessarily have coordinator children. Yeah, I don't know. I think generally, yes. Also, Atherin, Kira's childhood friend crush, is a member of Zaft. He's engaged to Lacus Klein, who Kira has a crush on because he rescued her and then gave her back to Atherin. And then Raul he saw is a char. Oh, also... Kira went Super Saiyan and totally messed up Izak, who Atherd kind of knows. Izak, the Scarface Bandit. Way better than Yamcha. <laughs> and if you ever saw him, you'd say he's vaguely relevant. Okay, so with that, let's get into episode 12, Flay's decision. Flay is a bitch that Kira has a crush on. I don't like calling her a bitch, but that's the fast version. So this episode does not have any sort of last time on. We get right into, I won't call it the action, but Atherin and Rao escorting Lacus to the bus where she will hang out with Kigali for a while before either of them reappear. I was going to say I feel like they would get along fairly well, but I think that's just because Lacus would get along fairly well with literally anything living. It seems like it doesn't even necessarily have to be living given her Haro collection. That's true, although then we could have a debate about what constitutes life. So Lacus leaves Rao and Atherin with some words about considering the cost of war. She tells Rao not to forget the lives lost. And he like smiles and he's like, you know what? I definitely won't. And I can only think in the back of his head that Rao will just, he's like, I don't care about any of these people. 
I will kill them all to see my goals met. Rao seems like that kind of commander where it's like, I totally care about you, but I really don't. If I I have to throw 900 of you at something to gain a millimeter, I'm going to do it. He would fit right in in a 40k army. Only if it's the tactically sound decision, though. Like, he's not going to do it for no good reason, but if he has a reason, he will do it. She also tells Atherin to consider the meaning of war and what they're fought for. She's very idealistic as she leaves. War? Huh. What is it good for? That's her huh. single. That's the one we don't hear. <laughs> That's the one that Chairman Zala suppresses because it's too anti-war. He doesn't want to be called a communist. She already has red-ish hair. <laughs> Although is red still associated with communism in this universe? We Who don't knows? know. Is it with one point? Is it three times faster than any other form of economy? <laughs> so as uh, they watch Lacus leave, Rao repeats uh, Lacus's words to Atherin, which makes him sound like he's going to be philosophical. But then he continues to manipulate Atherin like he has been by saying, hey, you heard Izak got totally fucked up, right? Be careful or Kira will shoot you down, too. You better kill him. He's basically like, your friend tried to kill your friend, so you should kill your friend. Thanks, Ralph. Because your friend's totally not acting in self-defense because your other, I hesitate to call him friend, your other compatriot, compatriot tried to kill him. So you should totally try and shoot your other friend down. Actually, I would also hesitate in calling him a friend. Kira's clearly his boyfriend. Also, naked Lacus Kira in the intro. Does that ever, like, does that mean anything? Or did they just put that there for the hell of it? Fan service. Yeah, fan service. Letting okay. people show. It gets ridiculous. The last opening of Gundam Seed Destiny is like all naked people. <laughs> so the Archangel starts pulling up next to the flagship of the 8th Fleet which is the Menelaus. The uh, helmsman asks if it's okay, but Natarl. Maru is like, yeah, the Admiral will want to see it. He was super involved in the project to create the Archangel and the Gundams. The Archangel is painted bright white, where everything else is either slate gray or, like, puke green. I think it was kind of intended to be their new flagship, though, so they wanted to stand out from the crowd of nondescript ships. I think it was just mainly because the white base is white. Yeah, also that. <laughs> well, and on top of that, it probably hasn't been properly painted out because it's still on shakedown. Or, if we stop trying to explain it. Because it looks cool. Rule of cool. Yeah. So the civilians are excited because they're finally going to be allowed to leave the Archangel. They're going to go over to the Menelaus, but uh, the main character civilians are talking about whether or not they'll actually be allowed to leave. Since, of course, they were involved in all the combat and stuff. Then we cut to the bridge where Maru is like, finally, I can take a break. And Natarl chases after her to have awkward elevator conversations. Basically saying, hey, you should force Kira into the military. Elevators are a terrible idea on board a spaceship. Natarl is a little more subtle than that. She just sort of implies it that, you know, he's super valuable. His skills are the only reason they managed to survive and they should consider it. And Maru disagrees with her because Maru is the leading heart, leading heart moral center. Well, I generally side with Nataro. I think it would be wrong to force him into military service. I generally side with Nataro as well. And trying to force somebody to fight for you is a bad idea. Yeah, it goes against both Japanese philosophy and current U.S. military policy. Most U.S. military generals think reinstating the draft is an awful idea for that reason. It creates reluctant soldiers, and that's the worst type of soldier to have. That means they're not likely to fight, so your operations go right. Well, at the very least, they're not likely to fight as hard, which could throw things off balance. Especially if they're a keystone player, like Kira would likely be in here. If he's a reluctant soldier who you basically drafted into fighting for you, and he doesn't want to, he's as likely to just bail. Yeah, we've already talked about how easy it would be for him to defect to Zaft, and 
forcing him really increases that risk. In fact, he wouldn't even have to fight for Zapt. He would just have to take them to strike and live there. Yeah. I love how Nataro, not realizing all this apparently, gets really angry and her eyes start twitching as Maru floats away from her, basically just dismissing the conversation. Although Maru looks legitimately beat up about it, I guess. I think she understands that it's a decent decision, but she doesn't feel she can do it. We then cut to Mu and Kira working on the Mobius Zero. Kira's like, what's the rush? And Mu is just like, I do not feel comfortable I, with my machine blown up. Say, <laughs> saying Mu is working is probably stretching the term as he is floating around the top of his Mobius he's Zero basically napping. He's the senior <laughs> officer. He looks so cool while he's doing it, though. He cannot be doing anything. So they bring up the question of the strike and whether or not Kira should restore it to as it was before. I like that he left a restore the original crap operating system function in there. <laughs> well, maybe the old OS was so small it didn't make sense to delete it. Really quick, and I'm not sure if this is in the HD version, but there's a scene where Maru floats up to them and starts talking with them, and she totally just sticks her legs down into the same hole that Kira's in. No one really talks about it because it's off screen, so you can't see it, but she's, like, way physically close with him for being a complete stranger, basically. Just Maybe. thought that was odd. She uh, floats up and is like, hey, I want to talk to Kira, and Kira's like, ugh, suspicion. Her line delivery in the English dub is almost flirty. I think it's just because it's an awkward That's line because she's got her hands or her feet all over his upper thighs. So. Or that. Because <laughs> he tells him not to be suspicious. Although, if somebody told me not to be suspicious, I'd probably be even more suspicious. So Maru basically is just talking to Kira saying, hey, thank you. Everyone here wants to thank you, even if they don't say it out loud. I think here she's just, while she's feeling morally strong and wants to let Kira go and isn't letting the tar opinion sway her, she wants to go and have this conversation with him. It's a pretty good character beat. Maru hasn't had a lot of time to play off characters other than Natarl. Because she's been too busy being part of the bridge crew. And well, like I said, I've said she's the moral center and they've said she's the bleeding heart, but here's where we get to see... I guess the upside of her no, softness. I, I jest when I call her the bleeding heart. She just, I don't. It's not really wrong. <laughs> she, she's totally a bleeding heart. That's not necessarily all like the ho most horrible thing in the world. I just don't think she's a particularly great soldier in that. But she's she could be the morale officer. <laughs> She'd be a great cheerleader. That's her class. What about pop star? Nope, that's Lacus. No oh, class overlap. And we finally get to see another Earth Forces officer. Admiral Halberton shows up on a shuttle and basically is just like, thank God, I thought everything was destroyed when Heliopolis was uh, destroyed. And he, like Maru, gets to be sort of upbeat and try to cheer people up. So we haven't played this game in a while, Tyler. How long do you think Halberton is for this Earth? Actually, well, later in this episode, I think it kind of gives it away. I think he's probably going to die next episode. Maybe the episode after that, depending on how protracted the fight is. I think he's going to be destroyed with the fleet while the Archangel escapes, because of course. That's a very Gundam thing to happen. It is. But he's characterized. He is, which makes us actually care when he dies. Yeah, one thing Gundam Seed is not necessarily criticized for, but it's pointed out, a lot of characters show up, get a lot of character, and then go boom. And which some... is why it has such a high body count. <laughs> yeah, a lot of characters... We're characterizing this character! Oh, we know why you're doing that, Gundam Seed. And they're not stationed on the Archangel? They're dead. <laughs> so the Admiral comes on board with this guy in the background, who I later learned is Captain Hoffman. But apparently it's been long enough that the Hitler stash is back in style. It's too wide for Hitler stash. Uh, yeah, it's also not straight cut, but that's the first thing I thought when seeing it. It's also a terrible mustache. Why would he ever have it? So Admiral Halberdin and Maru clearly have a rapport. 
the expanded universe tells us that she was one of his students. And clearly they both put a high value on the Archangel and the Gundams. Isn't she a mechanic? She is an officer, so she would have had to go to some sort of military school, even if she is That a is true. When you said student of his, I assumed personal protege, which is not a good assumption. So Halberdin uh, floats over to the characters and tells them that they checked on all their families and they're all all right, and gives a very sincere thanks. <laughs> Well, I, I like actually, the, I, I like the implication for Halberton as a character because the the first thing that he does when he sees them is goes over to them and informs them that we checked and all your families are safe. He, like he doesn't say anything about the military. The first thing he does is assure them the safety of, of their families. That's an inaccurate statement though, because if Flay's in that crowd, it's Ron. Her dad is dead. <laughs> Flay is not in that crowd. There are a whole bunch of mechanics in the background that react the same way, yeah. which makes it looks like they're trying to imply a bunch of people whose names we don't know volunteered too, which I would be fine with, but we haven't seen that up until now. Well, we do yep. know that at least a doctor was brought in. What? And he shows up, I think, late. I, I know a doctor shows up again. I don't know if it's this episode, but we know that there is one because they mention it in like episode, like the first episode, they actually bring him on. The Admiral wants to talk with them more, but Hoffman is like, dude, timetables. Hoffman's job is basically to keep the Admiral on a leash. I guess he's his personal assistant. Well, it seems like he kind of needs one or else he'll get sidetracked. That's why he's such a good admiral. People love him because he'll sit there and, like, chit-chat with them. So then we cut over to Rao on the good old uh, Nazca-class ships, whose name I can't remember, who's now been joined by the, Z- the Gamow and the Ziggler, and they start plotting their strategy. They figure that the Archangel is going to try to land on Earth, probably Alaska, which I don't know if it's been mentioned before, but is the Earth Alliance headquarters. It was not mentioned. I was confused about this. And Rao wants to try and sink the Archangel before it can escape to Earth. So his resources are six gins on the Ziggler, the Blitz and Buster on the Gamow, and five machines, probably including his own on his mobile. Also the Aegis. the Aegis. Yep. Then he gives the line that I think Tyler was referring to, where he says, I think it's time Admiral Halberton exits the stage. Then we cut to some nice debriefing with Hoffman and Admiral Halberton talking to the officers of the Archangel. Halberton sees them getting through as a great victory, but Hoffman tells him that the brass in Alaska doesn't really agree. To be fair, it looks like it's a horrible loss of resources and manpower, despite the fact that the Artemis base, that's a pile of junk doing absolutely nothing in the middle of nowhere. It's a useless rock to hold on to, but they were holding on to it for any reason. And Heliopolis wasn't really their fault, because who would have foreseen them raising a neutral colony? To be fair, they were using that neutral colony as a front yeah. for their development. Yes, but it was a still, from the for all extensive purposes, to the outside, a neutral colony that they ransacked. That's true. And also, you can't blame the crew at the colony for that. You have no. to blame the people who made the decision to do construction there. Definitely. And the people who leaked the information, which would have likely been Zaft uh, Zaf spies anyway. And because Zaft didn't have good PR on that, all the Earth forces think that Zaft just completely wrecked a neutral colony for no apparent reason. I'm surprised they didn't, like, decry it and get Orb onto their side even more so by basically calling Zaft barbarians and how horrible they are. We don't get to see much of the Earth Alliance's PR, which is kind of too bad since we have Lacus and General Zala, I guess. We get to see what their speeches are and what they're saying. Supreme Commander Zala. Yeah. Cool general guys all. You would think that that would be the first thing is you'd spin the uh, Heliopolis incident. Like, Zaft wrecked a neutral colony. We picked up some survivors on one of our local battleships. Totally true, by the way. <laughs> Completely meaningless that they, uh, you know, 
happened to be building a warship at the colony. Their battleship was in the area when it was destroyed. <laughs> they picked up some survivors. I feel like Orb's intelligence is probably good enough that, like, Orb knows they were building them there. Yeah, but... The government of Orb knows yeah, they were building them there. That's true. The people don't know they yeah, were building them there. This is more to convince the people to be more on Force's side. It's like sending news from the front. That's fair enough. Admiral Halberton dismisses Alaska's opinions because they're idiots who don't know nothing about space fights. Yeah, all their snow and archipelagos. Uh, Hoffman decides to uh, bring up Kira. Maru basically says that she doesn't believe that they should do anything with Kira, that they should trust him. But Natarl, uh, again, speaks up over her captain and says she disagrees and suggests they uh, try finding Kira's parents and taking them under protective custody. Or straight up kidnapping them, depending on the translation. Which is the dumbest thing she's ever said. Like Normally, Nataral strikes me as the ruthless, or semi-ruthless, but all about the tactical decision. This is bad on like a hundred different levels. I don't think she realizes the psychological effect it would have on Kira. I think that's kind of the point they're trying to make, is that she's so tactical, she doesn't understand the whole emotion thing. It's not even an emotional thing. That's why it's, it's like, a massive public relations nightmare between the two nations if you go yank his parents her. because they're in orb. They're orb citizens. Nataro is also the person who threatened to kill Lacus on the bridge. So, or I, well, they Flay, all, technically. Yeah, that is true. It was technically Flay, but. Nataro never technically threatened Lacus in any way. She implied a threat to Lacus, but she also implied that it was. Zap that was threatening her by attacking Archangel. That's why I said Nataral should be captain and Maru should be morale officer. The most generous way you can interpret this is Nataral is trying to say we should offer to protect his family in exchange for his service. That is kind of press-ganging and trying to yep. force him in. <laughs> say generous might be a generous word for that. <laughs> All right, so Admiral Halberton denies this immediately with a fist smack. And Nataral has this weird, awkward, shrinking back animation. Where she's like, I'm sorry. I do like Halberton's line with that. In the dub, he says, what use would I have of such a soldier? It's very Japanese, like Tyler said, where fighting spirit and willpower are considered very important. But it also mirrors most U.S. generals' opinions of the way the military should act. Well, I meant uh, Nataral shrinking back. Ah. Because she, like, bows and is, like, suddenly also sort and she's like, oh, rank, right. I'll remember that. The translation that we're looking at is more forgiving her by implying protection rather than kidnapping, which is pretty much what the dub says straight out, is we should kidnap his parents. No, like I've said, I feel like the dub tries to make Nataral out as much, not crueler, but sort of darker than she is in the original. There's definitely all that still there, but I feel like, like I said, I think it's a cultural thing, and maybe Nataral just stands out more in Japanese culture than she would in an American one, so they feel the need to make her a little worse. Makes sense. So Murdoch realizes that they'll be going to Earth because they are loading two sky graspers onto the ship, and those are for use in the atmosphere, not space. Because I do they like have the look of the sky grasper. I have a model kit for one. I'm put it, looking forward to putting it together. Then we get the good old eye catch. Hey there! This is the part of the show where we break up the sound of us talking for an hour to talk to you directly how you doing good good i hope you're enjoying the action-packed transition episode there's not actually a huge amount happening even on the character development front but this starts setting up the scene for a series of unfortunate events later sorry neil patrick harris 
In other news, we heard from another listener. It turns out there are more than like five of you guys out there. This email comes from Mark. Like me, every time I try to finish off a Final Fantasy game, he has sold out on Seed several times and is apparently using us as a sort of support group to force himself through the events of Seed and Destiny. He has also mastered the transcendent state of being able to listen to a podcast while focusing on coding, which has eluded me from years. I would give up some body parts of this, like my left earlobe or something. Mark also pointed out to us, because we mentioned it a couple times, Mulaflaga's uncanny likeness to Roy Fokker from Superdimensional Fortress Macross, which we'll just often call Macross because there's only one of those, right? At any rate, I went and did some research, and they do actually share quite a bit in common, although arguably Roy is somehow even cockier than Moo. Thanks for contacting us, Mark. It's good to hear from you, and I hope you continue to enjoy the series as we continue putting out episodes about it. I think that's about all I have to say for this segment. I intend to mostly use it to talk to you guys and, like, interact with our audience. If you continue to like the show, tweet us at LTOV Gundam, or comment on our website, or send us an email at Gundam at LastTimeInVideoGames.com. I'll let you get right back into the amazing bureaucratic interactions that we're witnessing right now. It's truly incredible. Enjoy. Admiral Halberton says that the Archangel has to continue on with their current crew because all the backup crew was on the ships that got destroyed a few episodes ago. And informs them that it's even more important to get uh, Archangel and the strike down to Alaska. I do want to mention, though, that they're with an entire fleet. Couldn't they transfer some personnel right now? I think the idea is all the spare personnel got put on the advanced fleet to be transferred. And so everyone's already a little short because of that. Also, this is a good excuse to not give oh, anyone yeah, else definitely. to the Archangel. They don't even get a slugger, although Moo is already kind of slugger. So, like Maru would if she was a slightly better character, I think. Admiral Halberton gives a pretty good speech here about people at Alaska only caring about numbers and him wanting to finish the Gundams to help reduce troop losses, which inspires both Maru and Moo, since Moo points out, hey, yeah, I'm one of those guys who keeps dying, only I didn't. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so I, I, I'm totally on board with this idea. We then cut to the Archangel, where Hoffman and Natarl are telling Kezi, Sai, Tal, and Mirielia that to avoid legal complications, they've decided to pretend they enlisted and are giving them discharge papers so that they can now leave. The captain has the kind of the look of a frightened rabbit when they actually show his animated face. I don't know what it is, but his face looks shocked. He's Just barely important enough to have a name, so I don't think they spent a lot of time animating him. He's barely important enough to have whites around his pupils. Just <laughs> consider that. <laughs> My problem with this is that they say it's illegal to have civilians participate in military combat. I can only see that being acceptable if it's illegal for the military to have the civilians do it. And not, but the way the kids react, it makes it seem like it's illegal for the kids to have helped the military. I always interpreted it kind of the same way as you said, where... It's kind. Of, it's illegal for the uh, military to press gang them into helping, or you know, conscript mm. them into helping. But they do act like, wait, we committed a crime? Yeah, and which, that's... which I actually I would believe because they don't present it as, you know, it's illegal for us to have you fight for us. It could also be they're presenting it that way so that they don't think they can take any action against them, <laughs> and that they let it drop like the current plan is. Yeah, and I can see it going either way. It just seems like. I'm not sure what law they're talking about here, but if it, it is definitely the... seems like a CYA law. Oh yeah, definitely. 
if it is the way they're presenting it, it seems like a really stupid law. But like Jeremy said, it might just be them. Presenting it in the way that makes them look best. Yeah. So as Hoffman is saying, hey, and don't tell any military secrets to anyone, Flay raises her hand and sort of interrupts. Natarl starts to scold her and says, hey, you're not involved in this. You're useless. You just walked onto the bridge with our hostage. <laughs> but she says dramatically that she wants to join the military, which, of course, all the kids sort of react to with surprise. Everyone else is like, Flay, you're useless. You can't join the military. <laughs> and Sai in particular has a look. He's kind of upset she didn't at least talk to him about it. To be fair... He is her boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. It's totally fair. We then cut to Kira, who is angsting with his Gundam. This is no longer going to be his Gundam. I'll miss you almost as much as I miss Saturn. Well, honestly, he's used to going head-to-head and that being his machine. Despite the fact that he's not particularly interested in piloting it, it's his machine. Now that you mention that, that actually brings up an interesting contrast with Amaro from the originals, because he was really possessive of the Gundam. He's like, no one can pilot the Gundam but me, because I'm the best pilot ever. And then he proceeds to screw up many times. But I don't think Kira is going to screw up many times, because the series doesn't have time for him to learn that lesson. He's already mopey enough. He doesn't need (laughs) arrogance added to it. So anyway, as he's... uh waxing nostalgic halberton comes up to have uh, another chat with him because he just keeps having chats with officers in front of the gundam this episode again i like halberton especially the way he presents it like he's talking to kira like he's an equal not necessarily talking down to him like an officer just well, explaining you know this is why we built these things mook takes sort of a similar tact and obviously it works well with kira yeah, yeah well, but i mean halberton doesn't really know him it, it seems kind of like the way halberton talks to everybody that's true and he's acknowledging the fact that he's a coordinator without being, like, a super Earth racist about it, because that's a thing, apparently. Kira sort of shows that he's having considerations about leaving maybe not being the right thing. And he even repeats Moo's words to Halberton and says, hey, if I have the power to make a difference, I should, shouldn't I? And as he's leaving, he says, only if you have the will to fight, which is very Japanese. This was the line I was uh, referring to in my notes, is don't die before the arrival of a better day. Oh, yeah. He's very nice to Kira. Everyone is very nice in trying to, like, send Kira off and basically wishing him the best, which makes sense since he, at great personal risk, saved very important military hardware, too. I felt like there was something that Halberton said, like, Kira said something about being a soldier in the dub. Like, he specifically said something about, you're not going to try and convince me to join the military, and he said something like, don't be ridiculous. Uh, yeah, that's a little bit later. I was about to get to that. He's As he's saying, you know, shouldn't I fight? He's like, well, no, you yeah, if you have the will, and he's like, even though your abilities are great, don't be so arrogant as to think just having you would guarantee us victory. It's nice when the main character gets put down a little Reality and makes checks. the universe feel bigger. Well, and then that's when Kira responds with, yeah, but I have the ability to make a difference, so shouldn't I? So clearly, all those midnight sessions with Mu have been paying off. Clearly, he's just very conflicted. The other students from Heliopolis are too. After oh. all, it, it, combat situations tend to forge relationships very quickly. That is what I was talking about, is he asks, you know, He's talking to the Admiral says, you know, it's not like we'd win if we had you. We'd have a better chance, but we don't need you to fight this. So if you aren't going to actually more read that as even if you were to join us, it wouldn't be guaranteed. And so the way you said it implied more that, you know, whatever, we can do this without you. I don't think they can. <laughs> Maybe eventually, but. Well, one day they're going to have strike apps. So are those like gyms? Yes. <laughs> So then we cut back to Flay, who, because there are lots of speeches in this episode, starts giving this speech about how after her father died, she started considering what the realities of war were and how she was a stupid little child who didn't understand anything when she was living in neutral territory. It seems very character developing for Flay, and she's decided that the thing she needs to do is 
try to help even if she's useless. And clearly this speech has an effect on Cuzzy and friends. Cuzzy is clearly the most important one <laughs> there, right? Yes, clearly. So, Cuzzy is another character who's barely important enough to get pupils. <laughs> <laughs> so Kira arrives in the landing bay to get in line as Hoffman and Natarl take Flay away to get a uniform. Actually, I don't think he was getting in line because he doesn't have his papers yet. Well, yeah, but he's in line when they give them to him later. But he doesn't know that he needs papers, as far as I'm aware. True. So the four start staring wistfully at their discharge papers. I just and kind I of assumed he was hanging out, because he's he's off to the side of the line. So while he's in or near line, the <laughs> girl who's been showing up uh, a couple of times thus far comes Whose up to him. hand plays squeezed too hard last episode. Yeah, and she. we also saw her making flowers for the memorial at Junius 7. Been around. Her name is Elle. I think this is the first time we hear it. And she's made one of those flowers for Kira, and is like, hey, thanks for protecting us. And clearly, even though Cre- Flay was mega creepy, what she said had an impact on the girl. And in Kira's reaction, we kind of see that he feels almost proud protecting them. Again, he's clearly conflicted. But I think this is the first time, maybe in the entire series, he feels good about something he well, did. Well, I think this, this is also the first time anybody's really, any any of these civilians necessarily have thanked him. His friends have said thank you, and Maruth said thank you. You know, everybody in this episode's thanking Kira. But this is the first time that one of these civilians that he brought on the ship has thanked him for helping them. Which, to be fair, he was berated for bringing them on the ship in the first place, so this is like confirmation, like, yeah, my actions paid off. So Psy dramatically rips his discharge papers in two when it cuts back to him, and everyone reacts, and he basically says, I can't leave my girlfriend here alone. And what she's saying, I was thinking the same things, basically. To which Why not just hang on to the discharge papers and keep helping rather than ripping them in half? It's symbolic. Tall immediately rips his in half, too, and says he'd feel responsible if the Archangel got shot down, since they're short crude and don't have anyone else. Besides, he's size bro, you know, it needs to happen. And Millie's like, well, my boyfriend just did it, so I, like Sai, am now obligated to also come in. Although looks, she doesn't seem upset about it. She looks kind of surprised and confused when Tall does, does it. it. Well, and then Cuzzy does it, basically going, well, I wouldn't have any friends otherwise. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with Kira. He's a coordinator, and I'm not as racist as Flay, but... I love how in the in the next shot, Cuzzy is off to one side and everybody else is on the other. Which one of these guys is the outsider in this group of friends? That, that's like, everyone's just like, yeah, yeah, Cuzzy, I guess you can stay with us. Damn, we couldn't get rid of him. Tall then looks over to Kira's papers and is like, oh, I guess Kira will be leaving, though. Somebody just realized, oh, crap, I ripped this thing in half and the only guy to keep us alive is leaving. Well, We're gonna I mean, die. They're with the fleet now. Theoretically, they were expecting reinforcements or something. So we cut to Zaft, who's preparing. Atherin determinedly gets in his mobile suit. And we see Izak with a big patch over the side of his face, uh, fighting off his doctors to angrily get in his Gundam while raging. That is a really, really dumb idea. I'm going to pilot without well, depth perception. I'm surprised they let him, honestly. But uh, It looked as- like they were not trying to let him. But honestly, you'd, you'd think that's like, you aren't fit to go out on duty. So, um... Rao said it was okay, and he clearly has my best interest in at heart. (laughs) Well, like, in the Earth Forces, they would sedate him. And the Zaft Forces are like, well, no, he's really angry about it. Maybe we should just let him go. If he dies, it's his own damn fault. But it's really valuable hardware he's piloting. Although, as they've said, they can afford to lose them now because they've already gotten all the tech. It's still expensive to rebuild one. Yeah, there is that. I In this interest of saving military hardware, I'm kind of surprised they let him go. They probably need every man they can, though, to attack a fleet. That is true. Well, it was implied that they didn't actually need the the uh, duel because when they're actually tallying their equipment, they the duel that isn't mentioned. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so 
Tall and friends come to the bay to seek her off. They basically give him his discharge paper and say, hey, we're staying. And I talked about how Tall is always looking out for Kira and how much I like how good of a friend he is. And here he's doing that too. He does a, his best to just say, yeah, Kira, you need to go. Thank you for everything you've done. Tim, as most of the characters have thus far. Then Sai immediately says, we're all staying though. Which I, clearly shocks Kira. When he's like, well, damn it, no, I have to stay. Well, not yet. That was his entire reason for piloting the strike in the first place, is I need to protect my friends. Well, now his friends are staying with the ship. True. So they guilted him into joining the military by accident. Yep. Well, yes. But we'll get to that dramatic moment later. It's wistful and stuff. Well, Halberdin has detected that Zaft is on the way, so everyone goes to combat alert, and Kira gets to hear as the battle uh, alarm goes off, and the other four leave. We also get a shot of Flay in her uniform, which has some nice thigh highs. So one thing that this episode doesn't really establish, we get a shot like you said, of uh, Flay changing into her military uniform. What exactly does she do? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes? Yes is not an answer to that question. <laughs> yes, it is. To be fair, they haven't gotten a fight yet. That's fair. She doesn't actually have a battle station yet because they probably haven't figured out where to put her. So Kira's friends obviously have to go to their battle stations and they kind of cheerfully go off waving goodbye and Cuzzy helpfully says, Don't join Zaft! Although it was Cuzzy that said that. I, yeah. I thought that. it was Tall. No, it's Cuzzy. Tall is just like, you know, have a good life, see you later. Tall even literally pushes him to the shuttle to get him to go. Which oh, again, no, you're Tall right. is totally looking out for him. And then Kira gets contemplative. He's like, maybe I should go join Zaft. <laughs> Both my lovers are there. Not Fly is still with the Earth Forces. Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, true. 66%. So we do see people saying, Izak, do not go. It's terrible. And he's like, rage! Blinding rage! I will use this assault shroud to destroy the strike and get revenge! We don't know what an assault shroud is, but it's ominous. It's just the extra cannons they hooked onto the <laughs> duel to repair it. Kira overhears the uh, mechanic saying that Mu has to go out because the Mobius is repaired. And he looks at his discharge papers and the flower the girl gave him. Basically, like these are symbol or physical symbols of the options he has yes. before him. Pretty very much, yeah. Done. I'd never actually connected that, but that's entirely true. And he has various flashbacks <laughs> to Moo and Maru and the girl. He starts hyperventilating about the weight of the decision. And crying, and then we get a cut to Flay, and then when we cut back to him, he crumples up the paper while crying, throws it away, and tells the shuttle to go without him. I really wanted the uh, shuttle driver to pick it up. He's like, oh, he's discharged from the military? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky bastard. And that's where the episode ends, with Kira being very emotional, but also determined with his decision. So this is how the series keeps Kira in the strike. Since it would be kind of weird if he left after 13 episodes. Although with the decisions Gundam Seed is brave enough to make, that would not be the craziest. I can see that him coming back to pilot the strike after they find that no one can pilot it properly. Although they probably all have died in the next episode if he hadn't been piloting. Kind of like right? an Ender situation from Ender's Game. I've never read Ender's Game. Well, at one point he's like the only guy that can Kind of like a Han Solo it. situation from Star Wars. No, not at all. <laughs> Anyone can do what Han Solo does. He's just really lucky. Well, I met with him leaving and then coming back. Too. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yes. Yes, they could do that. All right. So that's episode 12, Flay's decision. Like we said, a short one, but Flay gets to make a dramatic decision that ends up impacting everybody. And like I said, it gets the series not back on track, but obviously I have to answer the question of why don't all the main characters just leave? And they do a very good dramatic job of it by taking a whole episode and devoting it to that. And honestly, it was a pretty good episode despite being a basically an excuse episode to make sure the characters don't leave once they wrote themselves into a corner. 
Well, like I've said, what sets Gundam Seed apart is its symbolism with like having two literal physical <laughs> representations of choices, but also its character development. This uh, show has a giant cast, and they all have distinct personalities, yeah, and exactly. they give them time to breathe here. Even Isaac gets like two lines, and they tell us so much about his character. The only characters they don't spend a great deal of time characterizing is it's the bridge Cuddy. crew. Well, <laughs> is, is the bridge crew at large. They did, like Occasionally, we'll get a couple of instances of the pilot, mainly. But generally speaking, they just kind of are the bridge crew. Yeah, and then is... Kira's friends. They kind of move as a unit. We don't really need more characters, to be fair. No, and I'm, but... I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that really the only characters that play a major part in the series that don't have specific names that we know all the time are the bridge crew outside of the yeah. captain and Kira's friends. Well, I just feel like, you know, Kira's friends working on the bridge crew would occasionally mention, oh yeah, Steve was saying the other day, blah, 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 and Kira would be like, the hell's Steve? And be like, oh, he's the guy who sits right to the left of the pilot. <laughs> Not that it's entirely necessary, but it seems like something that feasibly would happen. All right, so on our website at www.lasttimeonvideogames.com, we have a list of all the mobile suits and Gundam seeds, and we haven't added anything to it for a while. We've had long episodes, though. Yes, so. we have. And this, we haven't really had any new mobile suits show up. We haven't put the Buster on it yet, so I think we should go ahead and do that, since this episode was a little shorter, and we've seen a lot of the Buster. Which one's the Buster? Derricka's? Yeah. It's got the two guns that go yeah. together and the okay. missiles. I like the Buster because I like artillery. Yeah, it's basically the heavy arms of this show. I like it a lot more than heavy arms because it feels like it has a roll a lot more than heavy arms does. Yeah. well, also, And it doesn't have a tendency to run out of ammo. Wing was weird in that they weren't really intended to work together ever. But yeah, no, I definitely like the Buster because it's backup artillery. Theoretically, you have the other mobile suits on the front line while the Buster's just shooting. Well, heavy arms' main, main problem was like, this is a covert op guerrilla operation unit, which is incredibly reliant on ammunition that should, in theory, be incredibly difficult to obtain in the quantities this thing spews it out at. No, it doesn't. It, it's self-regenerated. It's actually the mass effect. Each bullet actually just fires a single shard. Downsides to the Buster, I do not super care for its color scheme. That is, yeah, definitely the biggest detriment. It's like kind of an green and orange, olive, it makes, also with some camo-ish. It makes a certain amount of sense because of the size of it. It could pretty easily disguise itself on a hillside. Granted, I don't think a thing that's about 10 meters tall and weighs 85 tons is going to benefit a great deal from camouflage in the first place. Well, I feel like if they wanted to camouflage it, it's in, mostly intended for space combat, right? They, they never actually established where that one is designed. But to mobile fight. suits are generally intended for space yeah. combat. The, I feel uh, like they would have just made it black. The expanded universe says that the combat plan for the Archangel is to have the duel sit back for defense, the Buster to sit on top of the Archangel shooting, the Aegis and the Blitz to go attack, and the Strike to do whatever they need. Yeah, that makes sense, especially since the Strike's most configurable. And it's supposed to have three Mobiuses to also help defend it. So, I mean, and that's basically the roles I would have assigned each of them. All right, let's start by comparing it to the most boring Gundam, the Duel Gundam. It's better than that one, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it's better than the Duel. Next Gundam up is the Blitz. It's got a better gimmick, or the Blitz has a better gimmick, but I do kind of think I like the Buster a little bit more. I think the Buster, like if I had to pick one of them, the Blitz's gimmick of camouflage, pretty good gimmick, but I'll take firepower over gimmick. It just occurred to me that's a death sight. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the, these Gundams are very heavily based off the Gundam Wing stuff. There are five, because Gundam Wing had five, and everyone loves Gundam Wing. For some reason. Also, all the characters have, you know, uh, yaoi subtext, because everyone loved Gundam Wing. Well, I mean, that's why everyone loved Gundam Wing, so... <laughs> I'd uh, take Buster over Blitz. I'm ambivalent, but... Yeah, I think I like the Buster a bit more than the Blitz. Next up is the Ale Strike, and that's where I have tr a little trouble deciding. 
I like both. I put the ale under the sword, though, because I think it's a little boring and derivative. And for the same reasons, you'd think we'd have more artillery Gundams. We we don't have few, but a lot of them came after Seed as opposed to before. Well, the only problem with artillery Gundams is you have to carry the ammo. Well, artillery itself doesn't make for particularly interesting or cinematic shots. Because what is artillery? Artillery is you fire at something about a few hundred miles or, you know, at least a few dozen miles away and uh, wait to find out if you hit it. Which is amazing if you have a limited budget and need to reuse the same attack shot all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but I mean, for like the cinematic combats that you see in a lot of Gundam series, artillery doesn't really come into play because lobbing shells at something you can't see while it can save you money is not particularly interesting. No, I think but I would prefer to have the but I prefer to get the buster over the ale because, like you said, the ale is kind of derivative and kind of boring. I think realistically, we'd probably have more artillery, or I guess mobile artillery, which is units. why all of the mobile suits from the Universal Century have alternate artillery modes as model kits, and in all the video games. So, do we think it's better than the Sword Strike? Nope, I don't. I don't love the Sword Strike. But I like its design a bit more than the Buster. The sword makes it look more unique. I like its color scheme a lot more. Yeah, definitely the color scheme beats it out. And the giant sword. And like Zach like said, Claymore's. the artillery of the uh, Buster makes it a little bit boring. So the Buster will go at number three, below the sword strike and above the ice. Is number one still the... Uh... High mobility, Jen. Yep. Yes. It's because the sword strike is uh, holding down the fort right in front of it. Okay, to be fair, Gundam or Sharzaku? Gundam. Actually, that's a hard choice. I like the Gundam more, but like the design of Sharzaku is so blocky. I actually really like it. This is a bad time to ask me this question, though, because I am working on a Sharzaku 2 model kit uh. right now. <laughs> Depends. But then again, I think one of my favorite battle mechs is an Atlas, which is about as ugly as they come. <laughs> but I like the Gundam. It's got the beam rifle. Gundam Javelin! I just said I don't like all the gimmick weapons, so. Gundam Hammer! Gundam Bazooka? The Bazooka isn't really gimmicky. That's, that's a little redundant. That's potentially practical, even. All right. So that should do us for this episode. Join us next week for episode 13, Stars Falling in Space. Wow. That's a mouthful. <laughs> if you want to contact us in the meantime, you can do so at Gundam at LastTimeOnVideoGames.com. That's our email address. You can also check out our other podcast at www.LastTimeOnVideoGames.com. It's Last Time on Video Games, <laughs> where we ramble on about video games. Video games. <laughs> video games. Bye. So I decided everyone's fighting except for me, even though was the first to say I would remain. So, I decided I was going to... You're not saying. Flay, don't start getting foolish ideas. A girl like you in a mobile suit? You couldn't possibly pilot it.